Welcome to the Blogger to Author Podcast, where we help you turn your content into a book so you can share your passion, build authority in your niche, and make a little money too. Now, here's your host, Dr. Beth Brombos. Hello, and welcome to episode 26 of the Blogger to Author Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Beth Brombos. The process of publishing a book can seem pretty mysterious to aspiring authors. What exactly goes on behind those closed doors? Publishing seems complicated and overwhelming, so much so that most people don't follow through on their dreams of becoming an author. That's why I'm so excited to have Claire Marshall on the podcast today. Claire actually has her own publishing imprint, and she's a book design and publishing expert. Claire grew up in rural Nova Scotia with very little television and dial-up internet, and yet she turned out okay. Her hit fantasy novel, The Violet Fox, earned an honorable mention in the 2016 Whistler Independent Book Awards. She is a full-time freelance editor, book designer, and web manager. If there's any time left in the day, she devotes it to Fairy Ink Press, her publishing imprint, and her creative business podcast, Business BFFs. When she's not writing or fiddling up a storm, she enjoys computer games and making silly noises at cats. Make sure you are listening up to this interview. We'll be chatting about many things, including publishing, book design and formatting, and selling your books in person at events. These are topics that I think will be of interest to every author, especially if you're considering self-publishing. Be prepared to learn a lot from this interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Blogger to Author podcast, Claire. It's my pleasure, Beth. So I want to start out our interview by hearing more about you. Tell us about yourself, your business, and your books. Absolutely. So um, my name is Claire. Uh, I am a full-time freelance editor, book designer, and web manager. And I am also an author publisher or like a self-published author. Um, My press is Fairy Ink Press, where I write young adult science fiction, fantasy, and horror novels. And I travel all around the country and hopefully soon in the States, uh, selling them at conventions, festivals, and craft markets. Uh, I also co-host a podcast named uh, called Business BFFs. I do this with my very, very best friend. We're both creative entrepreneurs, and we talk about uh, creative entrepreneurship, and we give people advice about how people can make their art their business. So essentially, anything to do with publishing, I have my finger in it. <laughs> and my, sorry. Oh, no, I, I was just going to ask, do you ever have time yeah. to sleep? Um, sometimes. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's a very busy kind of life, but um, I've always wanted to work for myself. And I like the idea of, of taking something that I've created and selling it. I, I get an equal rush from creating and selling. So uh, this is really the business for me. And I was, I was just gonna say, um, my, my fantasy novel, uh, The Violet Fox, I have five, six books, I will have six Uh, Hopefully, I will have eight by next year. I'm kind of ramping up my schedule a little bit. (laughs) Um, My my fantasy novel, The Violet Fox, was uh, received an honorable mention in the 2016 Whistler Independent Book Awards. So, I guess that's my most like recent book award achievement. Congrats! (laughs) Other than all the other things I do. (laughs) 
That's amazing. And so clearly you are an accomplished writer and author. So can you tell us more about what inspired you to become an author? Sure. Um, well, I guess I will say that I've always been a writer. Like ever since I was five years old, I was writing stories and making little books out of like construction paper and paper. And I was the girl in class that would just be writing stories. And in grade five, actually, I basically all we did in grade five was we wrote stories and we did math. Um, don't know why. That's just what the teacher felt. And I would just fill scribblers with stories because he would give us story prompts and I would just, I would write and write and write and write. And so it would just, just kind of assumed that I would become a writer because that's, that's what I like to do. And that was my quote unquote thing. Um, but I was also very business minded. Um, my dad is, uh, is an entrepreneur and he spent his life, uh, making and selling furniture. So I would go with him sometimes to the local flea market, uh, local flea markets, and I would help him sell his furniture. So I was like seven or eight years old and I was like uh, selling, you know, tables and, uh, and toy boxes to, to adults, which uh, was, was really, really fun. And sometimes I would sell lemonade too. So I was just always, <laughs> <laughs> I was always very, like, I really liked that interaction with that direct interaction with people. Um, and so when I was a teenager, I like, I had already written like 130,000 word novels. Like I wrote three of those when I from like age 12 to age 17. Oh my goodness. So when I was, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. But but also to put that into context, I'm from a very rural area in Nova Scotia. I'm, I'm Canadian, in case you couldn't tell. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I grew up in a very rural area where um, we didn't really have internet. Uh, we got dial up when I was like 13. Um, we didn't really have access to a lot of uh, different services that maybe somebody in the city would have. So you end up having a lot of free time. I only had two channels on TV, CBC and sometimes CTV. So uh, basically, I we had to create our own fun. So I had a lot of time to write these 130,000 word novels. And our imagination and creativity was really encouraged by my parents. So I was I was very eager to learn about the business of publishing when I was a teenager. So I would uh, my parents would buy me like the, I think it's not Writer's Digest, or maybe it is, uh, the big thick book with all of the lists of publishers and agents. And so I would write letters, query letters to them. I learned how to write them when I was like 15. And I would oh, write wow. them being like, hey, I have this 130,000 word novel and I'm 15 years old. And that kind of intrigued them. So I would get some interest. But ultimately, like I'm I'm not ashamed to say that like my writing was it was okay but it's nowhere what it is now and that's kind of the way it is when you're a writer it's uh, you have to practice so basically um my mom encouraged me to do a journalism degree and I was I mean I was like sure I'll do a journalism degree I guess um but about 2 years into that degree it was 2008 and that's when the the recession hit. I mean, that mm -hmm. probably hit the States more than Canada. But at the very same time, a local newspaper shut down. And suddenly, all of our teachers were telling us, like, there are no jobs for you when you graduate. And I that was a huge pressure because I had always done well in school. I had always assumed that 
I would just magically become a writer or magically do whatever uh, was I, I was good at and that it would just happen for me. Mm-hmm. But um, being told, like, mm, there are no jobs for you, I kind of fell back on, like, I need to start my own business. So I did a lot of publishing research. Um, I actually even seriously considered dropping out of school to start a publishing company, which I'm very glad that I did not because, <laughs> <laughs> wow, if I had done that then instead of waiting like uh, like four or five years, the, like the difference in knowledge that I had is like leaps and bounds. So I finished my journalism degree and then I applied and was accepted to do a publishing certificate at a Humber College in Toronto. So they have a four-month condensed program and it's there that I met people that work in the industry. They're the teachers. Um, I met my current partner there. I met my very best friend there and I'll it was just so eye-opening into the actual business of publishing. I mean, I had done a lot of research before getting into the program. Like, I knew the basic process of publishing, but actually being there and our our final project was to create a publishing company and get real authors involved to, uh, quote-unquote, uh, like, uh, submit books to us. And then we have to develop a business plan and essentially... And we would have to plan an entire year of publishing and present it to a panel. And it was a competition. And we did this in a group. And I was just thinking like, wow, there's so much to publishing that I did not know. And it takes like four or five people just to like make a couple of books happen. How am I going to do this all myself? (laughs) So after graduating, I started a freelance uh, business. So I started accepting editing clients and formatting clients because I had those skills. So I did that to pay the bills and slowly ramped up that business. And I also worked for a couple of small presses, which is also very eye-opening because small presses are very intimate in, in their relations. And quite different than than a large press would operate. And then uh, in 2011, I started publishing my own books. And I have been doing about a book a year since then. And I am still here seven years later. So essentially, I approach being a writer, being an author as a creative business. And I don't have any visions of grandeur where like I'm going to sit on a pile of gold and sign autographs and it's going to be so great. Like, (laughs) (laughs) like I know it's a lot of work and it's a lot of work to stay relevant in the business. Mm -hmm. But those, that's a great perspective. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. (laughs) And that sort of ties into my next question for you. Mm -hmm. What do aspiring authors need to know about the publishing process? Oh boy, <laughs> they need to know everything. <laughs> well, okay, not everything, but uh, essentially mm-hmm. they need to understand that it's a lot of work and books don't just magically happen. It takes a lot of hands to make one product. I mean, essentially I could go through the entire process, but that would take a little while, but I'll just say very briefly that there's an editing stage that has many layers, so different kinds of editing happens and there's some back and forth between the editor and uh, the author. And this is regardless whether uh, it doesn't matter whether you're traditionally published or you're self-publishing, that the publishing process is essentially the same, except in traditional publishing, there's obviously uh, more people involved and 
So uh, there's the editing process. Um, mm -hmm. There's the formatting process where your book gets laid out, usually in Adobe InDesign. Um, and mm -hmm. then, of course, there's the cover design part, which a lot of authors are very like excited about. And that's the part they always go to. And some very... Uh, some authors, they want control over that. They they want a big say in how their cover looks. But in traditional publishing, usually cover design, uh, the marketing team has a big hand in how the cover looks because they're the one that knows the market. And the mm -hmm. author doesn't necessarily know the market. They don't necessarily know what's going to sell. Um, and self-publishing, obviously, I mean, you are the publisher, so you can decide how you want your cover to look. But um, there's definitely uh, an advantage to having uh, professionals, uh, a, a professional's input. Um, then, of course, there's the marketing. And marketing can happen. Marketing happens at any time. And especially with larger presses, um, marketing might start like as soon as the book is acquired or as soon as that it is in production. And essentially, if you have a publisher – if you are traditionally published, that doesn't mean that you get to sit back and not market yourself. Yes. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, hugely. I think that's a huge misconception uh, that, that, mm -hmm. yeah, that new authors have. Because um, especially nowadays, uh, and, and if you're published by like a mid-sized press, they don't necessarily have those large marketing dollars. And even like HarperCollins or uh, Penguin Random, like, I mean, unless you are a big name, um, they might not put a lot of dollars behind you. So you might have to set up your own events, like your own book signings. You might have to uh, contact podcasters and ask them to be on their show. Like, it's funny, I, I, I was talking with my best friend, uh, her name is Samantha Biko or SM Biko, and she has a three book deal with uh, ECW, which is a uh, like a mid sized press uh, here in Canada. And uh, she they're they're putting a lot of marketing uh, push behind her her book because they think it's going to do well, and it will. Um, but like they're not they're they're doing certain things that that are very good, but they might not necessarily know the quote-unquote new things that you can do like like the podcasting thing mm -hmm. like they might not necessarily know who to contact to do that so they're like well you can do that and she's like oh okay or they might not I, I noticed that publishers are just starting to get into the convention scenes they're just starting to realize the that the value of directly interacting with the customer and conventions are pretty expensive so it's really no wonder that like maybe they're hesitant to do that, but it's just all these kind of newer things that publishers are maybe a couple years behind in in realizing. So there's actually a lot of value to um, making your own marketing plan and, and figuring out what you can do that they can't and just doing it, as long as you keep them apprised um, of what you're doing. And uh, the other thing that I think... Uh, new authors or aspiring authors don't always get that. I mean, I mentioned this, that publishing is a business and uh, it's a very expensive business to be in. So mm -hmm. like printing your own books, editing, especially if you want to self-publish, those are your res financial responsibilities. So printing is very expensive. Editing can be very expensive. And a lot of authors, they're not necessarily business-minded. So they they maybe they only want to write. And, you know, that's fine mm -hmm. if that's what they want to do. 
So if the idea of sorting piles of books for events, shipping out orders, setting up and doing the events, uh, managing contractors, if that sounds like a headache to you, then maybe a different a traditional path is for you where, where you would have more help because those are things that you're going to have to do, especially if you are self-publishing. And it can be very lonely um, but I can do it well because I have that my experience that I can fall back on. And I guess uh, the third thing that I will say that I think I mentioned already, but marketing only stops when you stop. So mm -hmm. if you're if you're publishing yourself, you are in control of your success. So the more you do, the more likely that you might get some some traction on on on, on things. But if you do nothing, then nothing is going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. It's a hustle for sure. If you want mm -hmm. your book to be really successful and if you want to sell a lot of copies and that's something that authors I think should keep in mind that, you know, if you want to sell tens or hundreds of thousands of copies or even just thousands of copies, you're going to have to hustle to get there in most cases. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I do a lot of hand selling, so uh, <laughs> it really is. I'm literally doing this like one or two copies at a time with each. Or usually, it's like two or three. Um, but yeah, it can be it can be a hustle, and sometimes you feel like you're getting nowhere. But I will also say that when you are in the center of it all, it's hard to get perspective on where you actually are because I like I do a lot of Facebook posts and I'm like, hey, I'm in this city and I'm in that city and this is what I'm doing. And people are like, well, like you're doing so much, even though I personally feel like I'm not doing enough, even though I do this full time and I'm always, always thinking about my business. So yeah, having having that perspective is it's hard to be in the middle of the storm and know where you are. So you mentioned that you do a lot of hand selling, and that's because you do a lot of in-person events for your publishing imprint, Fairy Ink Press. Do you have any advice for authors who would like to do more live events? Sure. I actually I have so much advice. <laughs> um, first, I would say um, I recommend that everybody read my postmortems and you can find them on my website, Fairy Ink Press. And I'll just say fairy is spelt F-A-E-R-Y, Ink Press. Um, so I do a lot of blogging uh, actually about my convention experiences. I do a blog post for every single uh, selling event that I do. So I talk about uh, not only what happens, uh, but I talk about what worked for me and what I would do differently. And you can actually go back all the way to 2013 uh, when I started to do these convention events. And you can see the difference between then and now. Like I used to take money in a mug instead of a lockbox. And I, I, my very oh, first... <laughs> yep. And my very first convention event, I, I made these awful bright pink construction paper signs uh, that had my prices and stuff on them. Oh, my God, they're so ugly. Um, <laughs> I, I even use a scarf as a tablecloth. Like I I've come a long way. Like my most my most recent shows, my sister, she made me uh, this this box set up so that it's actually three boxes and uh, they turn into shelves and I can I can store them like Russian doll nesting Russian doll style. So nice. I have three boxes. They all fit in 
into each other, but they turn into shelves. They have my logo on them. They're like laser cut. Um, so I have really <laughs> advanced my display since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. in, ge- in general, I guess I would say uh, for advice, uh, don't just lay your books on the table. Um, actually put an effort into into the design of your table. Uh, you want to make sure you have book stands so that uh, the books actually face the people who are walking by. You want to uh, prop them up so that they are close to eye level. I, I really found a huge difference from like putting the book on just on the table to like putting the book on top of some other books so that they're at eye level like major, major like dollars, like hundreds of dollars worth difference. Wow. On there. So yes, absolutely. You want to make sure that people can see them because especially in a convention uh, atmosphere, there you're just competing against a lot of visual noise. So you want to make mm-hmm. sure that people not only see you, but they do that kind of double take and come back to you. And uh, your display is going to help that, but also your book covers, you want to make sure that they are on point as well. Um, so like, don't be afraid to put a lot of book, the copies of your book on the table and make a cool arrangement because mm-hmm. that'll draw people in. Um, you really want to take things to the next level in terms of your design. Um, also, I would say, uh, stand, do not sit. Uh, again, this is an eye level thing. Um, you want to catch mm-hmm. people's eyes and you want to you want to make that eye contact. That's very, very, very important. Um, I'm actually doing some outdoor markets this summer uh, at the Banff Farmers Market because it has a lot of tourists. And uh, I even find I don't want to put sunglasses on because then it's like they can't see my eyes. Mm-hmm. I want I want people to see my eyes. I want to make that kind of it's almost an, an emotional connection when you look someone in the eye it can be very intimate so I, I want that I want people to come to me and I happen to have a nice smile and a nice face so that that helps as well so so I want to use all that to my advantage as well I want to say it's not their fault if they're not interested in you um, if you aren't getting any sales you need to evaluate what might not be working, um, whether that's something simple, like you need a better display, or maybe even some things you can't control, like location at an event. Sometimes you can't control that. Uh, it might be something more complex, like you need new cover art, because that's the first thing that people see. And people do judge a book by its cover, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, you have to be willing to experiment and change and not take it too personally if something isn't working. Because I know, I know as an author, like your book is your baby, but it's a product. And you need to be willing like, like, hey, if if the cover art, it just isn't appealing to the audience, change it. And that's an expensive change. But maybe, maybe that's what's wrong. Um, Also, also, I will say, not everybody reads. Some people like different kinds of books. People have a lot of reasons for not buying. Um, so focus on the people who are your audience and give them lots of reasons to buy and, and really remove those barriers uh, so that they will buy. Like, for example, um, I, for, a wa- for a long time, I only took cash at my table. And so, you know, that's some, a lot of people do have cash at these convention events, but cash runs out very quickly when you want to buy the latest Marvel merchandise or yes. what have you. Mm-hmm. So if you don't take credit cards or debit, that's, that's an issue. So, so I, I 
got the ability to take credit cards very, very easy. Um, but then, oh no, you don't take debit. Oh no. So you lose that sale. And actually I, I just got the ability to take debit, um, this year. Um, and my, like my sales have increased dramatically just because I can, I can take that. And, uh, People ha- people are saying like, oh, you take debit. I will buy a book. Not, I want to buy a book. Do you take debit? So there's like a bit of a difference there. Um, and I know, yes. I know in the states. I was recently in, in Seattle for vacation. Um, I don't know if like credit cards. Credit cards didn't seem to be like a major thing. Like people do debit. I I don't know if that's true or not. But it just seemed that the credit card game was less advanced than it is here in in calgary or in in, in canada because mm-hmm. uh, we do, we do tap here like tap is very common so you just like put your credit card on the machine and it and you go boop and then it does the transaction and it's done it takes like two seconds so i i have the ability to do that so that's like a major it takes less time people want to do what's easy so essentially you want to arrange your business so that it is very very easy for people to buy your stuff <laughs> Yes, and meet them where they are using the products or the systems that they want to use to purchase your book. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Okay. And Claire and I have been chatting. I'm going to have her back on the podcast at a later date to talk more about in-person events because she is clearly an expert and because I do strongly believe that it's important for authors to get out there in person because it's one of the best ways to get people to buy your book. So we will chat more about that on a future episode. Stay tuned for that. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Me too. Uh, But what I would love to do is move on to your design expertise because I have been dying to have a book (laughs) designer on the podcast. I'm so excited that you are here to talk about this because I know a lot of my listeners are going to really, I think, listen intently to this and they'll learn a lot from it too. Um, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, both you and I know that it's an area that a lot of authors really struggle with. So mm-hmm. how do you help authors with their book design? Okay, <laughs> buckle in. <laughs> Here's my process. And I, I have all these loaded questions for you. Sorry, okay. go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I might get a little technical. I'll try not to be too technical. Um, but here is essentially my process um, with, with my clients. So my client will email me uh, generally to ask, you know, how much is go- this going to cost? And, and they tell me about their book. So I format novels, children's books, nonfiction, um, pretty much anything, any kind of book, I will do it. Um, so at this stage, I learn as much as I can about the project, like how many, like, is there any artwork that I need to know about? Um, just especially the artwork is pretty important because that determines how I'm going to lay it out. Um, mm-hmm. So once we're both on board for the project, um, I ask the client to send me everything that I need. So that includes um, the text, obviously, uh, any images, um, and uh, also, I make sure that I have any front and back matter for the 
for the book. So mm-hmm. table of contents, uh, the dedication, the acknowledgments, copyright information, that kind of stuff that's going to go in the front or the back of the book um, so that I have everything that I need to make the book look like a book. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I use I use Adobe uh, InDesign for formatting, and I know some independent authors use other programs, uh, including Microsoft Word. Um, now, in my opinion, formatting for print with Microsoft Word is like trying to eat soup with a fork. <laughs> if you want <laughs> if you want a lot of control over your book and also if you want to take it to the next level, you need to use the appropriate tools. And Word, Microsoft Word is a word processor and it's really hard to control um, minute details like kerning and, and, and leading and, and widows and orphans and those kinds of things. Uh, Mm -hmm. if you don't have that appropriate tool. So um, essentially, I do a mock-up of the first couple pages, usually like uh, part of chapter one or uh, the first couple pages if it's a children's book. So I give the client a lot of different font options and samples, um, uh, options for chapter headings, that kind of thing. And uh, once they're happy, then I can go ahead and, and format the whole book. Now, mind if I, oh, I'm sorry. Do you mind if I oh, yeah, interrupt yeah. you with a quick question? Yeah, so absolutely. How important do you think font is when it comes to, you know, producing a book? I think it's pretty important. Um, now, not only just font, but font size and the way the font is on the page. So, I mean, again, it depends on what kind of book that I'm formatting. So, I mean, I do quite a bit of young adult because that's, I mean, I create my, I do my own formatting for my own books. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty familiar with that. Um, but I've also recently done some children's books, like a picture books and like kind of a middle grade chapter book. And for for those younger audiences, you really need to have a lot of space between the lines. You need to ensure that the font is big enough so that it is approachable for, say, uh, a child or a person who has uh, not only like a learning disability, but maybe is uh, uh, adverse to reading. They, they don't want to read. They're reluctant. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you want to consider those things as well. Um yeah, so so I give them a bunch of different options, and you want to generally for novels and nonfiction, you want to use a serif font and not a non-serif font. Um, and uh, for fonts, when I'm choosing them, I will usually print them off. Like I'll do a page, and then I'll print it off on the printer because you don't actually know. The screen, seeing it on the screen is not necessarily a good indication of what it's going to be like when you print it off Mm -hmm. and read it on paper. So I do a lot of that and I'm pretty picky about what fonts that I choose. So I actually spend like a lot of time on this step, both for my own stuff and for my client stuff. Like I I actually recently reformatted one of my own books, um, one of my books that I published in 2013, my uh, my young adult science fiction one, because ultimately I was very unhappy with, uh, I liked the font, Droid Serif, it's a fine font, it's very reminiscent of, uh, if you're familiar with Animorphs, it was that kind of font, yeah. but mm-hmm. But it was very, uh, I didn't like how close together the the, the letting, or I think it's pronounced letting, uh, the space between 
the lines in the paragraph. I was very unhappy with how that turned out. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a font that needs a lot of room to breathe. So I ultimately ended up replacing it with a different font in this reformatted and uh, it, it just, it breathed so much better. Um, it was a lot more, uh, read, readable, the readability increased. So that's something that you like, you really have to be aware of, like how people are going to interact with this and not be mm-hmm. afraid of that white space. Like, oh, I did, cause some authors, <laughs> when you look at it from a cost perspective, the longer the book is, uh, the more expensive it is to produce. And some authors or some publishers are going to be like, Ooh, I want to cram all the text done on the page as much as I can. But ultimately that creates an unpleasant reading experience. (laughs) So uh, you wanna be aware of who your audience is and how they're gonna interact with your book. And you wanna make that easy, you wanna make it an easy read, essentially. Absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. I'm glad. (laughs) Um, so, So yeah, typesetting, it's an art. But obviously, like, it takes a lot of practice to figure out what works and what doesn't work. So just playing around with, um, you can get a lot of free fonts on Font Squirrel. Um, mm-hmm. And if, and I would say, like, uh, if you, if you like, uh, if there's a specific font, now I'm going to move on and talk just a little bit about, um, uh, like, chapter heading fonts or, like, cursive fonts that you might want to use. I, I use, you know, regular normal fonts for... Uh, like the text itself, but sometimes I like to get creative and I like to use like a really pretty font for the chapter heading. Yeah. Uh, if the if the cl- if the client doesn't already uh, have one that they want me to use, um, I am in love with like really cursive fonts, and uh, I I would say don't be afraid to license a font. Like there are a lot of font independent font creators out there who are just making fonts and maybe it's part of their business or maybe they're doing it for fun and they sell licenses. You can get them as cheap as $5. I've paid $50 for font. The price Mm -hmm. ranges uh, quite dramatically, but don't be afraid to spend a little bit of money on a font that you like and license it and help out a fellow independent creator creator so that you can make your book look super duper awesome. But also make sure you test those fonts because I paid for a font um, and I I love it. I use it on my fantasy series. Um, But uh, when I laid it out, um, it looked great. Uh, I didn't end up printing it off to test it out. So when the proofs came back from the printer, uh uh-oh, I noticed that the kerning was all out of alignment. So the letters were all close together or like too far apart. So we had to fix that and that cost extra money. Um, So yeah, uh, yeah, always make sure like when you're getting these, like any kind of font, just make sure it works. (laughs) Make sure it works for you and, and always, always test it out. Um, Mm -hmm. so the other thing I'll just touch on that's a bit technical are margins. So, um, usually when I'm formatting for independent authors, um, they're using a print on demand solution. Uh, so just to quickly define some terms, uh, print on demand, print on demand is a printing system like CreateSpace or Ingram Spark. Essentially, you're printing books as you need them, as opposed to offset printing, where it's usually a commercial printer and they're printing like 
a thousand or two thousand or one hundred thousand copies of a book. So different mm-hmm. kinds of printers, and um, sometimes it matters. Usually, it does matter uh, what kind of solution you're going to use because that will slightly affect how uh, I format the book. Because, for example. CreateSpace is very strict with certain things, like they're very strict with margins. If Even if a little bit of a font happens to go over the margin, they will reject the book and you have to re-upload it or you have to fix it and re-upload it. So just basically following, usually there are guard, guidelines on the printer's website mm-hmm. um, for formatting your book. So like if you're like, oh no, I don't know where to start, but you know that you want to use CreateSpace to print your books, they have sizes and measurements depending on like, you know, how long you think the book will be. But mm-hmm. um in general, I will say um you want to give yourself enough of an inside margin so that the print doesn't disappear into the void that is the gutter. <laughs> um, you also want to yes. give enough room on the left and the right margins because you don't want the print going all the way to the edge of the book. That would be bad. Mm-hmm. So I say a very general guideline is half an inch all the way around and then uh, 0.75 of an inch on the inner like gutter margin. That's a good mm-hmm. place to start. Um, but then I highly, highly, highly recommend just playing around with those margins and even making them a bit tighter so that uh, there's more white space all the way around because the more white space there is, the the easier that it's it's going to read. So yeah, just always research the printer that you're going to use and make sure they don't they don't have any like specific margin requirements. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But usually, uh, it's just uh, CreateSpace has some very specific margin rules. Um, otherwise, mm-hmm. the offset printers may or may not care. It honestly depends. Um, what else? Uh, page counts. Um, so you want your page count in general to be a multiple of eight, and that creates a what's called a signature. But honestly, I've worked with print-on-demand printers and digital offset printers where that didn't really matter. And uh, some of these like print on demand and the digital offset, they can add extra blank pages at the end if they need to. Mm -hmm. Um, So just ensure that your page count can be divided by eight is what is kind of the important thing. And don't be afraid to just leave some blank pages at the end. Or don't be afraid if suddenly you get a proof back and there are a couple of extra pages that are blank at the end. Like that's just to make sure that your book is bound correctly. Um, Mm -hmm. So Essentially, uh, once the book is all put together in in Adobe InDesign, uh, I export it as a PDF and then I send it to the client for review. And then usually there's a back and forth period where they might have some changes. Um, In traditional publishing, this is the part where um, there are what's called proofreading. Now, I know that like in school, you're taught that proofreading is kind of like copy editing where you look for spelling and grammar. But that's just in publishing, proofreading is literally reading the proof. So mm-hmm. the thing that I have exported for the client is a proof of the book. It's not 100% complete because there might be still some changes that need to be made. So uh, you, the client will review the proof. Now, they might want a couple words changed, and that's fine. But at this stage, you do not want the person to be making huge sweeping text changes because then that can mm-hmm. totally destroy the work that you have done. So uh, so yeah, that's kind of 
that's kind of the print process. Um, I will just quickly say um, also, because this is a thing that some independent authors don't always think about when they want to create a print version, um, the cover flat. So a cover flat is literally a flat version of your cover, of your print cover. So Mm -hmm. you have your front cover on the right, your spine in the middle, and your back cover on the left. So it's like a whole cover and it's laid flat. And I make this Mm -hmm. in InDesign. And the printer will take this file and they will use it to create help create your book, obviously. Um, so most independent authors that I work with will have a cover already. Um, I do, I do do a little bit of cover design. That's a pretty new thing for me, but, uh, so they, as long as they have a front cover book, I, I can create a spine and a back cover to match. Um, the thing about the spine that is really important to know is that I can't actually, I cannot actually make the spine for you or measure it out for you until the print version has been finished formatting or at least until I know what the final page count is going to be because there's a formula that we use to create the measurement of the spine and that makes sense because you want the spine to cover all of the pages in the book um, so mm-hmm. in, in general that's a number that is calculated it's calculated using page count and your printer if it's an offset printer will provide you with that number if you submit them a quote or if you're using CreateSpace or IngramSpark, um, they have templates that you can use to uh, when you're designing your cover flat. So as long as you know approximately what your page count is going to be, you can still uh, create your cover flat. So again, I'm using InDesign to do all this. I lay out the back cover copy. I acquire the bar- barcodes if necessary. Um, again, if you're using CreateSpace, you don't really need to do that because they provide you with one. Um, I put on the price. Uh, basically anything that goes on the spine and uh, I export it into a PDF again and uh, that's uh, it's ready for upload and submission to the printer and that's pretty much the print process. <laughs> yes and so first and foremost I want to thank you so much for going so in depth into that. You just gave a lot of really great tips and tricks and just thank you so much uh, for sharing so freely of your expertise. I really appreciate that. Oh, no problem. I I would talk for hours about this, but I'm glad that somebody finds it, finds it interesting. <laughs> well, and I think it will be helpful for a lot of people who are listening. So listeners, clearly you just heard that there is a lot that goes into the professional formatting and design of a book. So Claire, could you just again reiterate that what you can do as a book designer that most DIY authors generally can't on their own? Sure. Um, So I will say that I have almost a decade of experience in the publishing industry. And if you're just coming into this and you've been listening to me prattle on about margins and font choice and you're like, "Uh oh, <laughs> then then mm-hmm. maybe you should consider um, hiring somebody who knows who has been doing this for a long time rather than spending your precious writing time trying to learn it yourself and then ultimately doing like a kind of mediocre job at it. But hey, if you want to learn to do it yourself, like more power to you. It's very, very fun. 
and I find it very relaxing. But if you don't have that kind of time, because time is our most precious resource, yes. um, then definitely I, I would recommend finding somebody like me or somebody else to do it for you. Um, and I will say, like, I care very deeply about my clients and I really, really, really want them to be successful, not just because, you know, they can refer me to other people if they like my work, but also because I take a lot of pride in what I do. And I know that I said previously, like, try not to take things too personally. Well, I take a lot of things personally and that's me mm-hmm. telling me not to take things too personally, but I take a lot of pride in what I do and I want, I want it to look good and I want my clients to do well because I am, I'm also one of them. Like I'm also an author and I know what it's like to struggle. And I, I know what it's like when no one, you show up to an event and nobody buys your book. And I, I can tailor advice for them because I've probably been there. Yeah, absolutely. And so where can listeners find you if they want to learn more about you and your services? Sure. Um, so for my freelance services, I do editing, book design, like ebook design, uh, web management. Uh, you can find me at editinganddesign.com. You can also find my uh, my young adult novels at my publishing website, which is fairyinkpress.com, F-A-E-R-Y, fairy, uh, ink press. And that's where also my postmortems are of all the events that I do. So please feel free to read those. Um, I think there's a lot of good things in there that uh, if you are really interested in selling your own stuff, uh, you can go read and read all about my successes and my failures. Um, and the third place that I will recommend you can go check me out at is businessbffs.com. And that's the podcast that me and my best friend, uh, Samantha Biko do. Uh, it's by creative entrepreneurs uh, for people who want to make art their business. And we release every second Wednesday. I will include links to all of that and more in the show notes. So make sure you check those out so you can make sure that you get in contact with Claire, subscribe to her podcast and everything else. Great. (laughs) So Claire, do you have any final tips or advice that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes, I have three main pieces of advice for, uh, for someone who wants to kind of do what I do. The first piece I would say is sometimes the best way to learn is to just do it. Um, You know, if you want to tackle your own book design, go for it. If you want to publish your own books and sell them around like I do, just do it. Um, You can read about publishing as much as you want, um, or you can listen to podcasts about it. But the only way that you'll truly know if it's for you is to go out there and do it. Um, The second thing I will say is that the job only starts when you create your book. You have to go out there and market yourself too. And overnight successes are the result of many, many nights of hard work and pounding the pavement. And you have to keep showing up and be consistent with your quality and your brand. Um, The third thing, the final thing that I'll say is Mm -hmm. that no one will care more about your books than you do. And that sounds very, very cynical, um, but you can't just expect to make something and then have the world care about it. Your job is to make them care. Your enemy is apathy. So you can make people care by being very passionate about your writing and your business and taking it seriously. And it might take years, but you know what? The more you show up, the more people will notice, hey, she's not going away. There might be something to what she's doing. 
So I definitely recommend like if you're feeling lonely or you're feeling down, just just evaluate what you might be doing wrong and then fix it and then just continue powering on because you can do it. Like I did it, so you can do it. Love that message. I completely agree. You can do it. And thank you again, Claire, for all of this amazing insight you've provided. I will <laughs> absolutely you. have you back on the podcast. Um, and I just, again, really appreciate you taking the time to talk to the listeners. And then again, just to be so free and so open with your knowledge well, and thank you, not Beth, hold for the anything back. I really appreciate to, that to speak well. and give my knowledge because it's literally one of my favorite things other than writing and selling. Talking about uh, what I do is like one of my favorite things to do. And I love to have the opportunity to, to talk about it again. It was my pleasure to have you on the podcast. Listeners, I know you just learned so much from Claire and all of her expertise. Claire, thank you again for sharing so much with our audience. I know they appreciate it, and so do I. Remember that you can find out where to connect with Claire in the show notes, which you can find at bloggertoauthor.com slash 26. If this interview has you pumped to write your book, be sure to join me for my upcoming five-day challenge, Five Days to Set Yourself Apart in Your Niche. In this challenge, you'll learn how to set your blog, your business, and yourself apart with a book, and you'll get hands-on help creating a detailed plan for your book. I'll help you figure out a topic for a book your readers will actually want to buy, and I'll help you plan it out too. You'll be surprised by how much you've already written and how close you are to becoming an author. The challenge begins Monday, September 11th. Register for this free five-day challenge at bloggertoauthor.com slash challenge. Until next time, happy writing. Thanks for joining us for the Blogger to Author podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share the podcast with your friends and be sure to leave a review on iTunes. You can learn more about Blogger to Author and the podcast at bloggertoauthor.com. Till next time, happy writing.